I asked our guest, Danny Kelly, to pound the table for someone. Danny, who you pounded the table for? Look, maybe this is low-hanging fruit, but I'm going with CeeDee Lamb of the Cowboys. Mainly, and I'm going to start with this mainly because I think he's really good. But also, he's going to have way more volume, I think, this year than he has before. Obviously, with, um, you know, Gallup is out. James Washington hurt his foot. I don't know who all these other guys are that he's basically going to be going up against for targets. I think that he is going to be the focal point of this passing game. I think he's going to be able to play in the slot. The Cowboys have been one of the faster teams, the top 10 fastest teams in terms of tempo in, in the league the last couple of years. Uh, they're going to be passing a lot. I believe in Dak Prescott. All these things together, even though Lamb kind of, he, he, he was a little bit disappointing last year, obviously, but uh, I still believe in the talent. I think he's going to go absolutely bonkers this year. So CD Lamb is the guy I want to leave every draft with. I love it. I love it. You know, bad season, still pretty good. Still wide receiver too. I like the uh, I like the potential there. Uh, you heard Danny. Go get you some CD Lamb. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Niles. With me are my excellent co-hosts, Jen Akins and Chris Allen. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> like I was telling everybody before we got started, I was at the Fantasy Football Expo up in Canton. A massive salute uh, to Bob Lung, his family, and all the volunteers that put together such a wonderful event. But it was just so great to be able to hang out even with just our own like four four brethren like uh spent the weekend with jeff hicks uh, i mean past john daigle justin edwards was there with me too uh saw connor and sam i mean it was just all the folks that we know and love and support like within this community to be able to see them for a weekend and you know just have some fun uh, while we're there and i definitely did that so now i'm trying to recoup but uh but i'm happy to be here, be here on the podcast with y'all tonight but jen how are you doing well, you know, I'm sad I didn't go. I know you're mad at me that I didn't go. Um, as I've said, I, I, I would love to go to this. Um, it's probably the worst weekend that you could pick to have a fantasy football expo. I mean, let's be real. Like, my kids start in school in a couple of days. I got, you know, this season is crazy. And someone had to work, you know. I stayed behind and actually, you know, created content and edited, like, 10 articles while you guys were all partying. Um, but other than that, I am well. Brandon, you didn't go to the expo either, right? I did not. You know, I, I thought about it. Uh, ultimately, my wife looked at me and said, please don't ask me uh, to do this because I'm going to feel obligated to say yes. And it's too hard and too much. So uh, I'm hoping one of these years I'm going to get out there. I would love to actually see in person the people that I regularly interact with virtually. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm glad you had a blast, Chris. It, the pictures looked like fun. And Jen, I saw you interacting with the people at the show. I feel like you were there. I feel like you were there in spirit. Uh, <laughs> uh, as of which, uh, you know, this week we're psyched to be joined by Danny Kelly from The Ringer. You can listen to him on The Ringer Fantasy Football Show. You can and should follow him on Twitter at Danny B. Kelly. Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing excellent. And yeah, I had a little bit of FOMO myself watching all the uh, videos and things that were coming out from the expo. Everybody tweeting pictures of them meeting up with each other. So uh, definitely a little bit jealous that I didn't get to go to that. But I'm with you, Janet. It's kind of an inconvenient time in, in the calendar. Uh, the content is not going to create itself. But uh, yeah, I'm just kidding. I, I, it did look like a lot of fun. <laughs> That's right. The, the grinders out there making sure right. that everyone gets yeah. uh, I'm sure there were a lot of articles written uh, drunkenly at one in the morning in a hotel room. I'm sure that's the way it that's went. That's the best. Content maybe. Right maybe. <laughs> that's right. That's Don't right. you judge me. <laughs> uh, Danny, I, I know this is late uh, and, and we're going to talk AFC East today, uh, but I, I love your NFL draft content. And uh, you know, this is the first time I've gotten a chance to chat with you. So I just want to ask you about the Jets draft because they landed your top corner, your top receiver, your top running back and your fourth ranked pass rusher is uh, what do you think of their draft? And do you think that it's going to be enough to help propel them into, uh, you know, I'm going to say competitiveness right, this year, right. not even contention, but competitiveness. I think, yeah, that's a good way of, of couching it because you don't want to get too excited. I think ultimately it does like at the end of the day, we need to see if Zach Wilson is legit. Um, and that will be what kind of pushes the jets into a real competitive situation where they're actually, you know, 
competing for the playoffs and, and potentially the Super Bowl down the line. But, you know, it's really hard to pick nits with what they've done to surround Zach Wilson with talent. Um, I really liked what they did in the draft last year. Uh, Elijah Moore is one of my favorite receivers. And then going out and getting Garrett Wilson, who is really dynamic, I think he's going to actually um, be like a nice one-two punch for them in the passing game. And that's going to be really huge for, for Zach Wilson in the long term. Um, so I really like what they're doing. And then, of course, they, you know, they add – couple of really highly ranked defenders. Uh, that's good because their defense was pretty terrible last year. And, and just everything that they can do to strengthen the foundation under Zach Wilson, I think is a really good thing. But of course, this recent news about Zach Wilson hurting his knee is is a setback and it's not going to help things. But um, generally speaking, I think they've had a good offseason and they're doing the right things that you want to see from a team that's going to try and like, you know, set that foundation around you know, hopefully what they think is their franchise quarterback. But um, I think the jury's still out on that. And, you know, if Wilson doesn't work out, then, you know, it could kind of set things back, you know, quite a few years. So we'll, I think it's all kind of still hinging on that. I hear that. Zachity Zach has to be good. That's that's the key element there. Uh, <laughs> Brees Hall, one of those uh, new additions, the running back, he's currently going off the board at pick 42.8 in underdog fantasy drafts. Uh, Danny, is that good value? Um, and do you like him? Better, worse, or the same in those underdog best ball formats compared to like a traditional redraft? Uh, yeah, I think best ball, it's definitely, I'm a little more interested in him in best ball than in redraft just because it's going to be, I, I feel like, especially after this last weekend where you see Michael Carter coming in and he's like starting for the Jets. I, I know that's not necessarily an indication that he's going to be the starter all year. I'm guessing this is going to end up being Brees Hall taking over the backfield eventually. Um, but it's going to be potentially a bigger split than you really want from a guy that you're taking that early in drafts because, um, you know, there could be a chance where it's just like 50-50. We're talking about like a Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon type situation, and this is a team that's not going to be scoring a ton of points, probably. It's a team that's not going to be having a ton of yards. And so, um, you know, just it, it, there's just less of a pie to break up, I think, and if he's not going to be leading this backfield by like a big amount, then that makes me a little bit worried. So I, when I saw them do that in the preseason game this, this last weekend, I was, it made me a little bit more worried that maybe this is more of a timeshare. Maybe they're a little higher on Michael uh, Carter than we all are kind of in this fantasy um, world. But um, overall, I love the talent. And I, and I think he's a really good player, but I would rather have him in best ball at this point than, than really, you know, be banking on him as like an RB2 for me. So fourth round, do you think that's a bit rich then? Yeah, I'm probably going to, I don't know though. It's like the, the running back situation, the running back just landscape right now. It, it's a lot of guys in timeshares. So I, I'll push him down, but maybe not like a ton just because like there's, it's hard to find a guy who's not in a timeshare at this point. Um, but I think it is kind of um, a situation where I saw that and I became a little less excited about drafting him, if that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah. And Michael Carter's out there like 12th round. So like, I know. And he's like to... the guy you kind of want to target now. I think like in this offense, you're probably wanting the cheaper one just because I think the upside in general of, of the Jets offense is still going to be kind of low. And, um, you know, especially with this injury now with, with, uh, with Zach Wilson, I just don't, you just don't know what to expect from them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, I know I've seen you a lot in those underdog lobbies, uh, particularly in that best ball mania three tournament where you can win a million dollars and, uh, you know, give out tons of prize money. Are you buying those top two running backs uh, in uh, with the in the Jets offense at, at cost or are there cheaper backs you're interested in? Uh, for the Michael Carter discussion, absolutely. Just like for what you and Danny were talking about, it's the value proposition, because when I'm talking about drafting my, let's say, fifth or sixth, possibly depending on my build, like my fifth or sixth running back, Michael Carter is the type of running back or the archetype of running back that you'd want to add like to your stable, because let's say something does happen to Brees Hall. Now you have at least the chance or the contingency that Michael Carter now shoots up in value because of the, like the pickup in the workload. And also if he is going to be involved in the passing game, I think he got one target just this past week, along with a few carries. So if he's also going to be mixing in, in the passing game, while he's not too terribly efficient in it, at the very least, if he's going to get some targets in that offense, and that's exactly what we want, a pass catcher that can do both. Because, again, in the event that Brees Hall were to go down, sure, the Jets might tack on like another veteran running back, but it's not like it's going to be, let's say, if, uh, let's say, Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson were out of the picture and it was just J.D. McKissick, we wouldn't expect him to take over the larger lion's share of the workload, that sort of thing. So I like Michael Carter like at cost, but Brees Hall, it's a little bit tougher. 
just depending on what your earlier picks are, I mean, that might kind of pigeonhole you into taking somebody like Brees Hall because at the very least you can tell yourself a story where he gets 60%, 70% of the workload, like somewhere, I mean, just the majority share like of the workload over the entire season, gets the post-buy rookie, uh, rookie bump, and we see more of him at that point. Okay, fine, like I can tell myself that story. But at the same time, I mean, if he's being drafted at RB18, all right, I could get maybe it might not be the best uh, arbitrage value, but let's say I get J.K. Dobbins at RB20. Coming off injury, I get it, but just a year ago, I mean, he was top five in success rate. I mean, top ten in yards per uh, yards per uh, yards per contact after uh, yards after contact per attempt. Yeah, that's why I'm tired. I'd also fifth in breakaway runs, so he was still explosive too. So I get the the fact that he's playing with Lamar. But it's just that if I can get him somewhat cheaper and I can also make up some of the same production that we're expecting from Brees Hall, cool. And if you even want to swing for the fences, take A.J. Dillon, who's going probably about a round-ish later than him, who also has, again, the contingent value. But also, he was more efficient than Aaron Jones as a runner uh, last season, first in success rate, according to Football Outsiders. Also more efficient as a pass catcher than Aaron Jones, just Aaron Jones actually had more targets than him. So it's just there are other running backs that I could still see having at least that sort of narrative, like the same production as Brees Hall in the same-ish round, but maybe I can get, instead of having to take Brees Hall, I can take, let's see, in the fourth round. What is that? Terry McLaurin? Is that Deontay Johnson? If you want to like hop back into the Gabe Davis debate, I mean, you could take him too. So it's I like, like those fourth round receivers, Chris. It's yeah. Great. I mean, there, there yeah. are other guys at other positions that you can take a look at versus having to take Brees Hall. So again, it's just who are your picks beforehand. And that's where you can kind of make the decision as to whether or not Hall is worth the pick at cost. Yeah. I actually um, hate the fourth round, but that's a whole other discussion. It's tough. I think the fourth yeah. round is gross. It's the worst round in best ball right now for me. I don't know. It's almost why, like the dead zone for a wide receivers. It's super gross. <laughs> Yeah. You know, one of the things I love about best ball is you don't have to pick the right weeks, right? You play those underdog best ball tournaments and like any of those spike weeks, you're going to get benefits from uh, Dobbins is a target for me because of that reason, Chris, you talked about him. He had eight carries inside the five during his rookie year and scored seven touchdowns on those. Right. Carries. Like yeah. Gus Edwards had like, I think he had nine or 10 or 11 or something only scored three on the same amount. So, uh, you know, he's the most effective short yardage rusher that they have, at least when they get in goal to go. Uh, those numbers get a little crazier when you get out to 10 yards because Lamar Jackson does so many uh, act- Lamar Jackson things. Yeah, Lamar Jackson things, absolutely. Yeah. But I love you. Yeah, in, in best ball, I'm, I'm Dobbins is probably my preferred target. Well, maybe in redraft, I might go after a Brees Hall there. But yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. In, mm-hmm. in best ball in those tournaments, I really like Jen. Uh, I, I got to ask you because you, I, I like to think of you as my voice of reason, Jen. Like when I get too yeah. excited about something that's ridiculous, you can come and be like, no, 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 Brandy. You got to remember this stuff doesn't work out. It's training camp hype or whatever. Uh, right now, I basically just wake up three times in the middle of the night giddy about Isaiah Pacheco. And uh, I need you to tell me why I should stop drafting him now that his ADP is rising. <laughs> well, first of all, I do want to say you and I were in a puppy together recently and you stole him from me. So um, I was not very happy about that. Um, and it was, it was a little above ADP uh, at that point. Um, but yeah. anyway, I'm, I'm actually not going to talk you out of him, at least not yet. Um, he is, <laughs> he's currently a 14th rounder, which I think is still pretty acceptable. Um, we want pieces of good offenses, right? Kansas City's good. Uh, this weekend, you know, he didn't really do anything that wonderful as far as what his output was. <clears throat> but what was a good indicator is he ran with the first team. He ran with Pat Mahomes and company um, after I think and it was a couple a couple series in or a couple plays into the first series. So, um, you know, that's a good thing, right? I think that. Um, you know, we always talk about running back Merck on this uh, on this podcast. And, you know, you had Ronald Jones, you have CEH. But I think that, you know, an ex- a powerful, good rookie, Andy Reid, I think, is going to run with whatever he can run with, right? And if he proves that he's the guy, he could certainly, you know, not, not maybe not earn the lead back role, but he's definitely, at least what we've seen from preseason week one, he's going to be part of this offense. So I think while he's still in double-digit rounds, I think he's absolutely draftable. I'm a little frightened for where he's going to end up, though, because <laughs> I know, right? we, we're in week one. He actually um, – I'm writing my preseason week one risers and fallers. Uh, I was writing it this afternoon. So looking at Pacheco right now, he uh, has risen 38.6 spots in the last seven days. So, and that's seven days. So, um, you know, he could be a 
fourth rounder by the time we're done with this. I don't know. But for now, I'm totally on board with drafting him um, until he gets ridiculously priced. Yeah, Danny, uh, we're going to go on to the AFC East next, I promise. That's what we brought. But just real quick, are you in on Pacheco, all the all the Twitter hype going on? Uh, I, I think I fall somewhere kind of in the middle. Like, Part of me is like the alarm bells are going off as like he's sort of the red herring this offseason where the, the good news is really we should be bumping CEH up, I think, just based on the fact that he seems to be solidifying his starting job. He's, he did come in, and I think he played the first like seven snaps with, with Patrick Mahomes. It seems like he is the guy for them. Obviously, he's a first-round pick. He had the gallbladder surgery or whatever it was last year that like really kind of set him back, I think, and this is coming out like a year later. So it kind of gives some context for why he just really couldn't hold on to that job and honestly why everybody else in the backfield was better than him last year for, more, um, for most of the season. Um, but to me, the Pacheco stuff is more about you know, who's you going to be your handcuff, I guess, in this offense or in, in like, you know, for CEH rather than like, I'm really worried about him actually getting like legitimate workload. Um, I do think there's a chance he kind of grabs a hold of some of the passing down stuff because it sounds like that's really where he's separating himself is as a pass catcher. You know, they're running him on some vertical routes. He's got that speed. He's got natural hands. Um, but to me, it was like, you know, this is good news for CEH more than I'm super, super excited about Pacheco. But, you know, you never know. Like, weirder things have happened. You get you get undrafted guys that come in and surprise, and, and they end up having carving out pretty good roles, especially when, you know, there's not a, a really strongly established starter. And so um, that's kind of the situation where you have to kind of try to take a flyer on it. But I'm not – I'm trying not to get too excited about it at this point. But I think right now, like like Jen said, like the, the price is still okay. It's not – you know, he's still cheap. Um but so I'm definitely willing to like sort of take a flyer on him now. But if he if he moves up a lot, I'll probably just let other people draft him. All right. That that makes sense to me. I uh, I'm just saying um, all my underdog lineups have either Skymore or Isaiah Pacheco. <laughs> Love Skymore. Love uh, Skymore. Cr- Cranking out those best ball fantasy lineups. Brees Hall will cost you a fourth rounder if you want to go over there. Uh, I'm also playing some of the isolated leagues because their low is $3. I love underdog over there. Uh, Excellent opportunities for me to practice drafting before my home leagues get underway. I'm like two weeks out from all my favorite leagues from every year. Uh, So listeners, if you haven't already, head over to 444.com slash underdog. Find out how you can get a free 444 Pro or DFS subscription and a deposit bonus match with a new underdog account. So, we are going to talk AFC East division preview. We kind of hit the Jets already, so I'm going to actually kind of skip the Jets. Uh, except Dude, I'm going to talk. I got a full thing ready. I'm supposed I, to do the Jets, but honestly, I, you guys covered everything I have, so it's yeah. fine. So uh, I am switching, and I'm, I, I was going to have Jen lead the Jets. I'm going to have Jen lead the Dolphins. But it's a better fit anyway, honestly. So, uh, But I do want to quickly talk about the receivers. Uh, Danny, any of those receivers you're by Elijah Moore is the most expensive one. Uh, Corey Davis is a forgotten player. Garrett Wilson's right. kind of somewhere in that, uh, in the middle uh, out there yeah, uh, yeah. with the questions you already mentioned about Zach Wilson. Uh, what are you thinking about these receivers at cost? Um, I really do. I'm still buying Elijah Moore. Um, you know, especially if the, honestly, this is terrible. Like, especially if the Zach Wilson injury sort of drags out, like he, he, Elijah Moore was really like getting a lot of high volume stuff when it was, when Mike White or uh, Joe Flacco were in there. And so I'm assuming Joe Flacco would be the starter for the team. And I think that would actually be kind of a boon for, for the receivers in this group, um, which is sad, but also like, I honestly can like get a pretty accurate picture. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I, I love Elijah Moore. I think he was like one of my favorite receivers coming out. I think he flashed really, really high level stuff last year. And I think there was like a set, a, sec, a section of this the year last year where he was healthy and playing a lot. And he was like legitimately the wide receiver three, I think, in fantasy. And this was like a six week period. And then yeah. he, um, I think he hurt his quad and his season sort of ended there. So we didn't really get to see if it could kind of keep going. And um, again, like the red flag part of it, it was, it was when Zach Wilson wasn't really playing that he was doing so well. And so, um, there's just kind of a lot of red flags, I guess. And that's what keeping, I think what's keeping him from really shooting up a lot in ADP. But to me, he is really talented. He's proven it. Um, and he could be the focal point of this offense. And what you're hearing so far, I think from training camp is he's really established himself as the guy there. Like he's the alpha in this offense, even though, um, you know, they did draft a guy in the top 10. I think Garrett Wilson might take a little time to kind of come on. Um, I'm high on him, obviously, as my top ranked receiver coming into the draft. But I think just generally speaking, Elijah Moore has 
you know, the edge up on like starting the season. He's got the built in chemistry with both of the quarterbacks already. He's like really integrated himself into the offense. And it sounds like they're going to make him a focal point. So he's definitely a guy that I'll be targeting just because I, I think I like the talent. I think he has a chance to be like the number one guy there. Excellent. Excellent. It's interesting how a slot receiver can be like the main guy, right? It's we've seen that yeah. kind of emerge over the last five years or so. Uh, Jen, what do you think, since you did prepare all your Jets stuff, uh, do you agree with Danny here or uh, any more thoughts on the Jets wide receiver group? I agree with him. I am not really, I mean, I've got a little bit of Elijah Moore here and there, but I'm pretty much out on the Jets. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't have no Wilson. <laughs> I have no Corey Davis. I have no Braxton Berrios. Like, it's not going to happen for me. I will say, though, I've sprinkled in a little a little CJ Uzuma. I, I can't say that, you know, I can't, I, I can't quit him, you know, and I feel like he's insanely cheap. So, like, round 18, I'll throw him in there in the mix if I sure. have that, if I have that kind of build going on. But um, I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, like like Danny was saying, now if if we're looking at Flacco for a while, I may dip back in because I just I don't I don't <laughs> yeah. trust Wilson enough to really um I mean, even though there were, you know, what he, he put on like 15, 20 pounds and there was all this hype that he looked better, but at the same time, I'm not sure I'm willing to trust that quite yet. So um I'm pretty much out on most of the uh the wide receivers there um uh, other than a little bit of Elijah Moore because I think that you know obviously he's the most talented there and uh but he's pretty pricey. I mean, he's a six rounder. So that's the thing. He's too I expensive mean, for me. Yeah, you he know, drops two rounds. I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> considering that. But then you also have to think, okay, um, you know, back when we were talking about Hall and Carter, you know, if you're looking at a team that's not going to be very good, right? So they may just have to huck it at the end of all the games. So there could be some decent garbage time, especially if it is Flacco or someone else that you know might be a little bit better than uh, than Wilson or can you know a little more accurate than Wilson, I should say, um, at the end of games. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I like that. That's a nice way to put that. I like that. Um, Chris, why don't you lead us into the Pats? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the easiest way to start with the Patriots would be with the running backs because it's been, I mean, Dane, I mean, we all know we've been watching this Bellatrix hating running backs, hates our fantasy teams, all this stuff for, for decades, for time out of mind. So I think our, we already know the answer to the question, which running back should fantasy managers want, because everybody has been craving for Ramondre Stevenson to be the guy, I think, like since like the back end of last season and to the point where now the ADPs have flipped as of now, as of right now on underdog. So I, I know that Ramondre is the one that fantasy managers should want or like the, the, what fantasy managers do want. But is there can you sell me on drafting? Damian Harris, I mean, maybe from a redraft standpoint or even from best ball, I mean, should like, should we be targeting Damian Harris knowing what we know about this Patriots offense? Honestly, like, no, I don't think so. He, he's one of, he's one of these guys that I know that he's talented and I know how many touchdowns he scored last year, but I just cannot get excited about it. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting is number one, like Ramondre is nipping at his heels. We've, there's been a lot of buzz about him during the off season. I know that ESPN, Reporter Mike Reese said that there's a chance Ramondre just ends up being the lead back in this offense. Like they're they're not going to be connected to Damian Harris after this year. Like they're not going to resign him, I assume, because they drafted two running backs in the draft. Um, I think he's going into his last year. Why not sort of pass the torch now and, and just kind of like run with it if he's their most talented runner? Um, that being said, like th they're switching to a new scheme. So there's a lot of variables here. Apparently they're switching to more like wide zone stuff. I don't know if that necessarily fits what Damian Harris is best at. I mean, when I picture Damian Harris, he's just like running downhill, like at a hundred miles an hour and, and like plinkoing through the line and, and breaking tackles and things. And I, I mean, he might be really good in the wide zone um, offense. I'm trying to think back to his college days, if, if that was like a strength for him, but like, that's just like the way that I picture him now is, is like a downhill, you know, really straight ahead runner. And so maybe that's just not really his best fit. So I don't know. I, I'm just like, there's too many question marks and there's too many, you know, worries that he's not going to have any passing game stuff basically because they signed like Ty Montgomery in the offseason. Like this is like the t typical Patriots thing. Like time now we're worried about Ty Montgomery. Apparently. Right. Yeah. In um, in the year of our Lord, 2022, <laughs> we're, we're, exactly. we're having to deal with Ty Montgomery. Yeah. Like we're worried about him. We're worried about two rookies that they drafted. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, so it's just like really hard to work it out. Uh, last year, I thought Ramondre was a really fun sleeper and I kind of was he was a guy that I was like chasing after. It didn't happen this year. Um, I still like Ramondre the most, but I'm probably just avoiding this backfield altogether. No, and I think that makes some sense, because if it's from 
a redraft standpoint, we would never know who's going to be the one that's going to profit from getting most of the touches. And especially if one of them fumbles, God forbid that happens. And then they just get banished to the shadow realm and we just, yeah, we just <laughs> never see them again. But I think like, but everything that, everything that we saw from Harris kind of fits what you were talking about. Like Harris did have like the higher explosive rate, like between the two runners. And that fits the way that the rushing scheme was last year. But like you mentioned, if they are switching to this wide zone scheme, it might favor a guy like Ramondre Stevenson who can still be powerful and quick as a runner, maybe not as quick as Damian Harris once you get up the top end speed, but if he can get through at least like first contact, which he did, he did have the higher yards after contact like per attempt, like then Damian Harris was the like more efficient running back. Like then Damian Harris, he had a higher success rate like per carry last season too. So it's just, if he can be, all that like the like even 80% of what Damian Harris was as a rusher while still adding the receiving component, which we know that he can, then it's like, what value do you really bring to this offense at this point? And I can just see Bill Belichick just turn it. It's like, we'll give it to the guy that can do the things that we need him to do. Look at the other running backs that have been at least somewhat more fantasy viable in that offense. Like the guys like Rex Burkhead, like those types, that archetype of running back is what fits that offense or has fit that offense in the past. So I think it yeah. kind of makes sense, like what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, if he could grab a Holt, man, if they could just make it a two man backfield, like yeah. the only thing you're worried about, of course, is if it's three man backfield. But then if they right. could just somehow land on it, just basically being Ramondre and Harris, like I'd be buying both probably mm -hmm. um, because that is, a, there's enough to go around. I mean, they have been historically run heavy enough to like, I think, feed two running backs. Um, and I'm actually like, you know, there's a lot of sort of negative vibes going on with the, the Patriots offense right now, but I'm generally <laughs> yeah. sort of a buyer still. Like, I still kind of think that Mac Jones is going to take a second year leap and that this offense is going to be a little more wide, like wide open, spread out. Like they're going to let Mac Jones kind of come out of his shell a little bit because last year they were basically like handholding, just letting him sort of be a game manager mm -hmm. and running the hell out of the ball. This year, we could see things change a little bit. And so uh, I think I'm still generally bullish on the Patriots offense. And like I said, if it could be a two man, you could build a case that it will be a two man backfield. And then in that case, both of these guys will probably outplay their ADP. Yeah. And I think so. let's dive into that real quick. Since you mentioned Mac Jones, I think that's been one of the I don't know, not necessarily polarizing players like in fantasy, but from the the pool of quarterbacks that we have in the late round there's only so many dudes that we really are interested in like matt yeah. ryan and some of those guys i mean trevor lawrence is obviously like the golden child when it comes to any quarterback that's drafted after round 12 <laughs> but mac jones is sitting there i mean this is mac jones the only one that was ranked in the top 100 by the nfl <laughs> which was like yeah. a point of consternation across the entire league I, like i saw i saw your colleague ben solak completely go nuts over the fact that it, mac jones was he took like, the bait yeah. yeah he did he definitely took the bait and i was crying like while i was like reading through the tweets like afterwards <laughs> but okay but I, I i kind of get it though like not the ranking though but i get buying into mac jones as a fantasy quarterback like for this season i mean eighth in completion per, per, completion percentage over expected last season top half of the league in epa per play so it's like okay he checks a lot of the boxes i mean especially for a rookie so i understand it so but it's just Will the production be there? Because if they're going to be in the back end of the league in terms of pass rate over expectation, they were what, 27th, 28th last season? So it's like, can they still, can they produce or generate enough production through the air in order for him to even fit into the likes of, I mean, we're, let's see, just even looking at the late round quarterbacks, can he match a Trevor Lawrence, even on a week to week basis? Can he match even, let's say, a Matt Ryan, who people are excited about? And that's where I'm kind of like, I'm not I'm not entirely certain, but what are your thoughts on Mac Jones for 2022? I think you framed it really well. I think that those are the big questions that I have about him. I generally, like I said, I'm kind of bullish on him. I'm like, I feel like he was a victim to the pre the pre-draft narratives where everyone's like, this guy stinks, he's immobile. Why yeah, because he was would... like compared to Lance and like yeah. the whole Trey Lance, Mac Jones thing. I think that really, you know, for lack of a better word, like it hurt his brand. Like it's it's hard to like get over sort of everyone's initial perception of a prospect, I think. And so um, I think a lot of people are sort of overlooking the fact that he looked, he was like the best rookie quarterback probably by a lot, you know, like, um, and there's room here for him to make a big jump going into year two. Like, why are we assuming any of these other guys are going to make a big jump? Why are we assuming Trevor Lawrence can make a big jump? Oh, everybody's um, drafting Trey Lance at like QB yeah. nine right now. Yeah. And so I think that there is, you have to, I think you have to, Use your imagination a little bit when it comes to Mac Jones. 
because like you said, they did have him as a sort of game manager last year. Is the volume going to be there? Is the scoring going to be there? Um, are they just going to play, play bully ball again and, and basically just try and, you know, bring people down into the mud kind of deal as an offense and just like, you know, take care of the football, all that stuff, sort of the old cliche, like the old football cliches. I think there is a chance. Maybe it's not the most likely chance, but there is a chance that they just open things up for him and let him do some of the things he was doing at Alabama where, you know, he's putting up really prolific numbers. Obviously this is college, but um, I think he's capable of doing that. He's the, the, the biggest thing I would say about him is he, it never looked like, well, maybe in that Buffalo game when it was like 80 mile an hour wins, but like for the most part, it never looked too big for him. He always seemed to be pretty poised, calm, like able to read defenses and things like that because he had honestly, to me, he had some of the biggest questions in terms of his experience because he was like a one year starter, one and one in change. Um, so he had some of the same question marks that you have with like Lance, where it's like just not that experienced as a as a starter. Um, but for him to go in there and sort of look not phased and win the respect, it seemed like of all of his teammates. And, um, you know, I, I, it does feel to me like we're just sort of clinging to the pre-draft narratives a little too much that he's like terrible. Um, and that he could actually, in my mind, make a pretty big jump this year. So I'm expecting him to be better this year and to score more points. This offense, I think, is going to be a little more wide open. Um, that's going against the preseason narratives right now that like their offense is terrible and that the Matt Patricia idea or Joe Judge idea of being offensive <laughs> coordinator is like, yeah. terrible, which maybe Admittedly, the case. Yes, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> But I generally say I would lean more towards him making a pretty big leap in year two. I, I think it's going to happen. The New England Patriots, they were ninth in offensive yards per drive last season. I mean, so this is a team that could actually rack up some yards like on the field, like on it. I mean, of course, like you mentioned, everybody remembers the Buffalo game. Everybody remembers the Tampa Bay game and the pouring rain when he what again, when Bill Belichick looks like he pulled on the leash a little bit, pulled Mac Jones and didn't let him actually start to flourish as a passer and let him actually like lead the team to win when they had a shot. At taking down, I guess they're what former or now arch nemesis and Tom Brady. However, whatever is going on with that relationship there, but it's just at those times when they really needed it, it did seem like Bill Belichick was just kind of pulled him aside and just kind of just let them lay down in in some cases. But I still think to your point, there are ways that this offense can be productive because we already know that they're efficient, and if there's even a bump in their pace bump in their pass rate over expectation that we see more plays they at least have the players for that offense to be explosive not even talking about the running backs i mean the wide receivers they can be explosive. like we know Devonte parker like in his range of outcomes we've seen him do it literally against the team that he plays for now i mean he has gone for like he's crossed the century mark against the patriots a number of times even the if you thing, want to talk uh, the other yeah. uh, the other wide receivers too are legitimate explosive pass catchers so i think it's possible yeah, I was going to say the other, the other two things I want to add. They're faster this year than they were last year, mm -hmm. which I mean, I don't know. Do you know? Can you remember any good offense that was slow? Like it's, it's so <laughs> rare to me. Like they speed is so important. Explosiveness. That's why, you know, you have these these big time receivers signing these massive deals. It's because right. when you have a guy who can win on the outside, it's it mitigates the need for like an elite left tackle, for instance, or something like that, because you have these guys that can win. Um, so I think that their team speed will be good. Their increase in team speed will be good. And then also the other thing that I want to mention is, is their defense going to be very good this year? Like to me, that's a wild card. If their defense is not very good, then we could see them have to like pick up the pace, have to pass more, um, you know, things like that, where it, it changes sort of their, uh, philosophy and identity on offense where they're instead of being bullies, they're, they're having to like catch up and things like that. So like with their, you know, they're, they're aged in, in the, in the secondary, like I'm looking at their, their roster right now. There's a lot of guys in all caps on, on our lads, which is means you're over 30 years old. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, a lot of, a lot of all caps players on yeah. their defense. Um, so that's a little bit worrisome. So that might be something to, to, to think about too. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I think then the last thing that I wanted to ask about uh, the, the Patriots offense, and we already mentioned uh, the ghost of Ty Montgomery being a part of this offense, but we've also been hearing some rumblings about Johnny Smith, like getting worked back into the offense again and how that that directly impacts like Hunter Henry, whom after scoring what double digit touchdowns last year, I mean, he was, I think, top eight, if I'm remembering correctly, in terms of number of red zone targets amongst all tight ends. Is that replicable for Hunter Henry this year? I think he's got a, let's say, 
14, 13, 14 ish round, like ADP on underdog. But uh, I mean, Johnny Smith, he is absolutely free. You could take him with your very yes. last pick in the 18th round. So is it possible for Johnny Smith to have value this season? I think so. Yeah. I mean, look, I think there were a lot of extenuating circumstances that happened with Johnny Smith last year that kind of like he just got off on the wrong foot. I don't remember the exact timeline of it, but I believe he had COVID or there was some issues with COVID. Um, and he basically just he, he missed a lot of, I think, the early prep time that would have been really important, especially for a Bill Belichick team. So um, what I've heard and I could be getting the timeline all, all wrong there, but I, what I've heard is that he's really locked in this off season. And it also goes, it's important to note, like they got rid of their fullback um, during the off season. And it seems as though they're going to run an offense. That's not really centered around a fullback. And so he may be the de facto fullback. I don't know if that's actually going to translate to fantasy points, but it means he's probably gonna be on the field more, which is a good thing. Um, And he's another reason I said, like the team speed thing, like he's obviously an explosive guy at the tight end position. I think they're going to, it does feel like they're going to feature him a little bit more. I, I would be like, conservative to say he's going to be like a big fantasy factor, but he's a guy that I would definitely have on a couple of my dynasty teams that he's been on the waiver wire. Like people are just sort of out on him and I'm, I'm scooping him up because I think he could have a bigger role than people are expecting. I mean, he's making a lot of money for this team. Um, so I don't know if that's ever really been a huge uh, variable for, for a guy like Belichick, but you know, they obviously <laughs> had a plan for him when they signed him. Um, and so I could we could see that sort of start to actually happen this year. So we're now probably the most versatile player on that offense. Probably. Right. Yeah. 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 It's uh, let's uh, let's shift over to Miami. Jen, will you uh, please guide us and our beloved Miami Dolphins stock? I will do my best. I I did not prepare this because I was not, uh, you know, I was not told. I'm sorry, Jen. I failed you. I failed you. (laughs) It's okay because this is, you know, I'm a professional and uh, I I should know all of this anyway. Um, So, yeah, I guess let's start with the wide receivers uh, in Miami. Uh, we got two guys going in uh, early single-digit uh, rounds, right? You've got Tyreek Hill. He's a second-rounder. at uh, His ADP and underdog is 22.6. you got Waddle right now, an early fourth-rounder at 38.1. Uh, both of them are pricey. Uh, you know, you've got a quarterback that is still somewhat, you know, unproven, right, and hoping that he, he makes that leap. Danny, are you in on both, one, neither? Uh, I find myself not really aggressively going after either of these guys. That doesn't mean I, that doesn't mean that I think that they'll be bad. I just think, like you said, they're both a little bit too pricey right now. Um, I do go back to the idea that Tyreek Hill was like a really he he was really really productive even when Alex Smith was quarterback. Um, I think it's going to be hard to you know keep Tyreek Hill down if he's if he's healthy, and I think that. In, in this offense in particular, I could see the offense really funneling through both him and Waddle. Like, you know, I, I don't really understand why they signed a guy like Cedric Wilson. Um, it just like, I don't know why that was such a big priority for them when they had Waddle and Hill. Maybe they just needed, they, they wanted to have more role players or whatever. But um, to me, it's going to be. Did they sign Wilson then trade for Hill? I wonder if they that, signed yeah. Wilson and that then would later were like, more. wait a minute, we yeah, can get Tyreek yeah. Hill? I think Wilson that's Wilson was first, yeah. That's a good point. So maybe this just did, that like they seized the opportunity more or less and traded for Hill. Um, but yeah, to me, I would guess the offense is going to funnel through those two. I'm a very excited to see how this offense works. I don't know if I'm excited enough to be committed to the idea that Tua is going to go off, but I also wouldn't be that surprised if Tua goes off because um, this offense, like, look, Shanahan and I, I know that and I, I know that Mike Daniel, Mike McDaniel is not Shanahan, but the Shanahan system, what he's been experienced in, what he's what he has come up in as a coach, um, like they can turn random dudes into like guys that pass for eight plus yards per attempt like every year. Like we've got Nick Mullins, you know, just passing it all over the place. Um, and so I think it's a fit for what they want to do um, in terms of like run after the catch, like get the get the get the ball out quickly, run after catch, create ways that you can get guys open in space to create. I think Waddle and Hill are both some of the best guys in the NFL at that, honestly, like get the ball in his hands and let him work. Um, and that's like what you think of when you think of the 49ers offense. Um, and so in and, and the RPO game that I know that uh, Tua was super, super comfortable with in college at Alabama, like a lot of Tua's stuff in college is just like, hit your back foot, get the ball out, hit your back foot, get the ball out. Um, 
dice up the the defense that way. And I know that he was really, really heavy on RPOs last year, but that was with like one of the worst receiver cores in the NFL. Like, you know, there's just, he, he, he didn't have a lot of support around him and they also got a new left tackle. So there's, there's enough to build the narrative that I could see the dolphins being good. I don't think I have the cojones to really like actually commit to it, but I, there's a world in which I could see this happen and I wouldn't be that surprised. Does that make sense? Like I'm not, I'm not quite ready to commit to it, but it also wouldn't be that surprising. Oh, it definitely makes sense. I mean, I think there's a lot, it's weird. I feel like in the NFL, there's a lot of teams that we could have that same thing. It's like you sit here and I know we're going off script here, but like, you look at the Texans and you're like, okay, I can, yeah. you can talk yourself into them actually being decent. Yeah. They have pieces. And I feel like this year, I don't know. There's a lot of teams that are kind of in that in between where like, okay, they may really suck or they may actually be good and surprise us. Uh, Chris, do you have any feelings on the wide receiver for Miami that were not mentioned? No, I, for me, I've typically preferred, and I know this is probably like going to get me some hate, but I prefer Jalen Waddle. That's just me personally, the guy that already has like a massive rapport, like with the, uh, with his quarterback. And I know that they've been just using all of the deep shots in practice, uh, with Tyreek Hill, like, like almost like propaganda videos at this point in order to make <laughs> sure like, so. Hey, we yeah. went out and we got this receiver and look what we can do. Yeah. And like, like Danny was saying, they went out, like they get Teron Armstead and all that. Like, and that's great. Look for Miami, but okay. But, there's still some problems along that offensive line. And while Tyreek Hill, if they want to use him in that function to either have like the intermediate and deep crossers in order to get him in space and like try and create some yak, if that's not always going to be an option for him, who's the other guy that's going to benefit from that? It's going to be Jalen Waddle. So, and that's where they found like most of their success last year. I mean, they RPO eyes like the heck out of that offense to the point where it's like, he's throwing, like Danny was saying, like he's just taking, it's almost like the Ben Roethlisberger offense where it's just like, 2.38 seconds, like time to throw, and then I'm just going to flick it like five yards down the field, and there's Jalen Waddle, boom, done. So if that happens, if that's the like the plan B for this offense, then Jalen Waddle, he benefits from that. And even if plan A works out where they're still capable of getting Tyreek Hill in space, okay, fine, but then there's still going to be some targets for Jalen Waddle like in the intermediate areas because he's still a good receiver. He can, he can do more than just those slants and digs that he was doing last season. So, yeah, I, I do like Jalen Waddle just for like the slight discount and, and all that, but yeah. So next year, Chris and I, we're going to meet up at Fantasy Football Expo and just do the Waddle. That's what we're yep, going to do. Yep, that's all we're going to do. Just <laughs> Waddle it up. All right, let's move on to the backfield. Unless Brandon, you have anything super um, other than the waddle to uh, add. Oh, just just all dance related commentary okay. for me at this point. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Do we um, have to talk about the backfield? Because I got no idea. <laughs> oh, I, I actually do right. want to talk about the backfield. Yeah, Mostert is fast. Fun, That's what I got. Yeah, I'm you know, teasing, yeah. I really uh, I'm enjoying drafting a lot of Chase Edmonds. Uh, I, he's extremely cheap, and is, you know, yeah. you were talking about paying a lot of money. They paid him, you know, lead back money. Uh, he is right now, he's going as RB29. You know, his his ADP is 89.5. Uh, he's a great, you know, zero RB guy if you're going that route. Or, you know, hero, anchor, whatever you want to call it. If you draft, you know, a stud in the beginning and then just wait and grab him. Um, I'm all about it. I mean, we all, listen, we all may get screwed because it's, you know, Mike McDaniel is coming from the Kyle <laughs> Shanahan and it could be, you know, Sony Michelle time, and, and we're all screwed. But um, that, that's what I'm taking. I'm taking. I Michelle am taking. So- Listen, yeah. I'm taking Sony as well. Um, I'm sprinkling him in. I mean, not in redraft, but in best ball, I will definitely grab some Sony. Um, Mostert, I just can't. And I know he's healthy, and all signs point to that. And he is right coming now. from, you know, yeah. what'd you say, Danny? Right now he is. Exactly. <laughs> I just can't get behind him, and he's super cheap too. I mean, he's RB fifty six. He's ex- incredibly cheap, but. Um, I don't think that I have uh, drafted him once this season because I just he's burned me in the past. I've got a little bit a little bit of that PTSD recency bias, but he is coming from San Francisco and he is coming from that Mike McDaniel situation. So they may end up using him more than we would like that to happen. But, uh, you know, that's my my personal thoughts on the backfield. Danny, you said you didn't want to talk about it. No, I'm just I'm just teasing. (laughs) I, I, I think that I think you're absolutely right, though. I think Chase Edmonds is a very good value. Um, and then both Mostert, I, I think I probably prefer Mostert just because he's more explosive, but like you can't, but with Sony, you can't really trust that he'll stay healthy either. Probably. Right. So, um, I think just the familiarity Mostert has with McDaniel, with this offense and with the, the run scheme and like making the right reads and things like that, like that gives him a little bit of an edge in my mind. But I think Edmonds is, is the 
one of the better values, honestly, and just in fantasy football, it's just hard to trust, you know, but at, like you said, you're not actually paying all that much. So it's not like if you miss this pick, you're going to lose, you know, your league or whatever. Um, I, I think it's just people are sort of unsure what to expect from this backfield. They signed a bunch of guys, which always muddies the situation. But if you follow the money, um, then Edmonds is your guy. And I think it probably makes the most sense. And I, I just, I trust a guy coming like he was apparently the architect of the 49ers run game. And the 49ers run game is always just super fun to watch and always seems to keep defenses on their, on their heels. And so, um, yeah, I think he, he's definitely the guy to own in this, in this backfield, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's, I don't trust the 49ers backfield either. You know what I mean? Like no. if I was going to, if I was going to choose Gary. between Elijah Mitchell, it, you know, like, quite a bit earlier versus chase Edmonds a little bit later, like a round or two later. Like I'd probably rather have Edmonds. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, you know, I, yeah. Do they, either of you guys have anything that you'd like to add to the backfield? No, no. Oh, Brandon, <laughs> I, you got something. I can see it brewing. I, you know, I, 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 I think so. Sony Michelle was pretty good for the Rams last year. I, I, I like the Mostert and Best Ball thing because you're gonna get like three dynamite weeks from Mostert, right? You're gonna yeah. get they're gonna be phenomenal for like three weeks. Um, I think in the doldrums of the season, you know, all these all these backs have like histories of getting nicked up. I feel like you're gonna get Michelle. You know, is gonna be an RB two for like a three to four week <laughs> run that you can yeah. trust in your lineup for like just that little gap of time. So I, I have no problem stashing him at the end of my well, rosters. I mean, you know, you know, based on my one hundred percent unabashed homerism, and I'm even wearing the hat right now. I'll always take Sony Michelle. Yep. I will always take a, a Georgia player at the end over anybody. Of so, course. Um, so yeah, Sony is is in the mix a little bit uh, for me as well. All right, let's move on to my least favorite player in all of football, and that is Mike Kosicki. Not Jen approved. Um, he is not oh, Jen approved. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we know. We know. We know. We, you guys know how I feel, but let's see how how a newcomer to the podcast feels. Danny, are you in on Mike Kosicki and, no. and his potential volume in this offense? <laughs> uh, no, not really. I think there's uh, there's too many question marks again. Like I I actually liked him quite a bit last year. He was a guy that I was. Um, a little bit higher on, I guess, than ADP because, um, you know, just the athleticism and the way that they're utilizing him as a de facto slot receiver, essentially. Um, but this year, it feels like it feels it reminds me of when the Seahawks traded for Jimmy Graham and then tried to turn him into an inline tight end. Like, what did you think was going to happen? He doesn't know how to block. He's never lined up as a blocker. And now they're going to ask him to be blocking like defensive ends and stuff. Like, I just don't see how this is going to work. But uh, I think it, well, let me put it this way from the dynasty perspective, which I play a lot of dynasty. So I'm like, he's a hold for me. Cause I think after he leaves Miami, he's a talented player. Who's going to have good production. But this year I'm just not really that, that interested in him. And he's playing on the tag too. So yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So he probably will leave next year. We're going to, we're going to be talking about the Mike Gesicki breakout season with the Browns next year or something like that. <laughs> or I guess the Browns just hopefully not the Browns. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully not the Browns. Yeah. Hopefully a team that actually like uses a tight end as a de facto like slot receiver. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the bills. Uh, you know, I had Chris down here, but I'm just going to take it from Chris because I, Fine. I, uh, I, yeah, I just, I want to, I want to chit chat too. I I'm having fun. So I'm just going to steal. I'm way off on my show sheet. Apologies for everybody. Uh, I, Josh Allen. Uh, I don't talk about the quarterbacks too much in most formats because most one quarterback leagues, you know, there's so many quarterbacks available. Josh Allen's one of the few that uh, you can make an argument is worth paying up for. He's been the QB one two years in a row. He'll cost you a third round pick generally. Uh, I've seen him last to the fourth. I've seen people jump on him in the second. Generally third round pick, definitely third round pick on the underdog. Uh, Danny, is he worth ADP? Do you think he can repeat and be that QB one again? I think he. I think it's obviously in his range of outcomes. Um, I would say the way that the thing that worries me a little bit with that is just the way that they started playing in the second half of last season, where it was a little bit more, um, you know, they were, ne they're never going to be like a dink and dunk team or whatever, but like they f were facing more too high stuff. They kind of had to figure it out, figure out what they were, who they were. They started like running with a fullback a little bit more often. They sort of changed things up um, schematically. I think, you know, obviously when they're balls to the wall, four or five wide, letting him kind of, you know, do his thing as a runner and scrambler and all that stuff. Like he can be, you know, head and shoulders above all these other quarterbacks. But I think just the way that they, um, 
may want to play this year, which is a little bit more, you know, traditional looking offense and trying to matriculate down the field because you're facing a lot of too high stuff. And that's like what a lot of teams in the NFL are facing this now, like the chiefs faced it and they had to figure it out. The Seahawks with, with Russell Wilson, were trying to figure it out. Um, you know, it's kind of like one of the defining, I think, storylines in the NFL is like, how are teams going to adapt to that? And, you know, one of the, one of the ways to do that is to run at them, you know, run at these defenses and, figure out how to do stuff underneath and be more efficient underneath and all those things, because the, the main thing with too high and, and I'm talking about like cover two, cover four, things like that is to take away the big pass. And that of course is a big part of Josh Allen's game. Um, so I, I'm a little bit worried that their offense will change enough to the pack where he's not going to be as big of a, a, you know, like a difference maker in fantasy as he has been in the past. I still think he could be the QB one, but is he going to be so much better, you know, on a different tier than some of these other guys? going into this year. I'm not so sure. You know, I, I think there's just a lot of variance with quarterbacks. And so it's just tough to really, I, I'm not going to be like reaching on him. That's just not like my style as, as a drafter. Um, so I'm probably not gonna be taking him a lot. Could he be the QB one again? Sure. But I don't know if he's going to be as big of a, a, you know, I guess like game changer for every team as he has been in the past. Plus, by the way, they've really forecasted and, and told it like foreshadowed, I should say that they want to get running backs more involved in the passing game. Like they tried to sign JD McKissick. Uh, it didn't happen. And then they went and drafted James cook in the second round. And he is basically a, you know, pass kit. He's like a more souped up version of JD McKissick, a more souped up and talented version of JD McKissick. So to me, this is a signal that they want to protect Josh Allen a little bit more and ask him to dump it off rather than taking off and running. Um, you know, is will that happen this year? Maybe not. Like Josh Allen is, you know, like for lack of a better term, like a wild stallion, like he's going to run all over the place. Like he'd probably not, it's, it's going to take a while to like, for him to, um, I guess like get weaned off of running and things like that. But like, I think this is a signal that they want him to do that because they want to protect him for the long term. So long story short, I doubt he's going to run quite as much. Yeah, I, I get that. I can see, you know, uh, Danny said something very important there, which is that, sure, he could be the QB1, but will he be so much better and, and in a tier by himself to make it worth the ADP and the, the heavy investment that you have to do to do it, uh, to take it, which is why we tend to, um, most of us tend to still wait on quarterbacks. I'm with you, Danny. He probably won't be on my roster too much. Uh, Danny said the magic word, James Cook. Uh, so, Jen, I, I just, I, I'm going to let you talk about James Cook for a minute, just because he came up. Yeah, listen, I, I always talk about James Cook. I had to force myself to stop drafting James Cook um, because I I have so much of him. Uh, and, you know, and another good thing is that he didn't really have a fantastic, you know, pre-seat. Like people are all of a sudden poo-pooing James Cook, which is great for, for his ADP. Um, people have, have stopped, you know, drafting him. But like Danny said, I mean, they went after J.D. McKissick. They want to get the running backs more involved in a passing situation to protect Josh Allen. James Cook is that guy. I've watched every snap in college of that kid. So oh, I'm, right, I'm, right. Georgia. I am completely on board. I've, <laughs> I've always been on board. Same with Samir White. Everyone is discovering mm -hmm. him now. I'm like, I've been drafting him since, you know, February, but whatever. Um, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I like James Cook. I think he's still relatively cheap. I don't know what his ADP is exactly, but I know he's still cheap enough that I'm on board. And um, I think that, you know, it's tough because him and at least at one point, him and Singletary were very close in ADP. I don't know if they still are. They were like within a few picks yeah, of each other. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and they still are. And so it's kind of like you have to just decide. I mean, I think it also depends on your actual league scoring format, right? If you're in a PPR league, maybe you go James Cook. If you're in a standard or a half PPR, maybe you decide to go Singletary. But I think either way, they're going to get those guys more involved. And uh, I've always been on board and I'm still on board despite his – you know, mediocre week one, you know, whatever happened in the preseason. I don't care. <laughs> I'm bored. Um, I, I'm with you. I uh, definitely Devin Singletary, Danny, definitely, uh, you know, not going to be the pass catching back. As you right. mentioned, the Bills have been telegraphing all offseason. Uh, their desire to bring in somebody with a little more pass catching chops. Uh, but still, Devin Singletary, without being a huge part of the passing game, was one of the best fantasy running backs in football for the past few weeks of the season. I think the only one more consistent and better over the final four or five games was Rashad Penny, which is a, a strange <laughs> thing to say out loud. Yep. But so, uh, Danny, everybody's selling Devin Singletary. He's available eighth, ninth round in, in most drafts. Sometimes he goes seventh. Is he a value uh, at this point, or are you just as concerned about James Cook taking all his work? 
Yeah, I'm I'm concerned. So here's the deal. I I mentioned it earlier. Like team speed is such an important thing. Like the Bills don't have another running back outside of James Cook who is like explosive. That's he's true. like he's he's a slasher. I I don't even know what he ran in the forty. Maybe it was like in the four fours or something. It wasn't like anything crazy, but he is just so much more explosive and such so much more uh, dynamic. I think than than you get with either Zach Moss or Devin Singletary. And by the way, like Zach Moss apparently has been running with the ones during training camp, which is I'm not just muddy the water. Nope. Even <laughs> nope, 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 nope. I'm not necessarily going to be buying Moss, but I'm also that makes me worried that you're going to have a two down, two man early down committee, which would take, would sap a lot of very of gross, Singletary's, very gross. Uh, like overall value. So my deal is, I think that James Cook will have standalone value as the pass catching back in this offense. I think they're going to find ways to use him. I'm not saying he's going to be a full-time slot receiver, but I think that they'll try and find ways to scheme him up just the way that Georgia did. Like he was basically like their Trump card. He would come in and line up somewhere in the offense, somewhere in the, in the formation, and they would design these big plays around him and he would create these big plays in their offense. I could see them sort of doing the same thing with James Cook. Um, who is, like I said, just like the most dynamic running back that they have. He's, he's the most explosive, slashing, um, like dangerous running back that they have. That's not to say that Singletary is bad. I think he's good. I think he's a big tackle breaker. He's very effective at that, like that type of thing, but like he's just not an explosive play creator type guy. Um, so I think that James Cook has a floor as a third down back who's going to be involved in the passing game. I don't know how high the floor is, but at least he'll be utilized in that way. But I also think his ceiling which is why you're drafting him is he just takes over as the starter on early downs too, because he's the most like explosive guy. So I, I, I don't know if that's the most likely going to happen, but I think it's in the range of outcomes. And that's why I'm, I'm like willing to bet on him. And like, cause I think he has that floor as a pass catcher, but also maybe he's just their starter. Makes sense. Absolutely makes sense to go after Cook and the upside in the passing game, which is what we chase after pretty frequently in general. Uh, let's go over to the wide receiver group. Uh, Stefan Diggs, uh, wide receiver seven last year, kind of viewed as a disappointment uh, to a lot of people. Danny, are you buying that as a disappointment or is that, uh, are you still buying Stefan Diggs as that first, late first, early second round player? Um, I think it was a little disappointing, like just based on what people were expecting. But like when you really look at it, like it wasn't, it shouldn't have been disappointing probably. Um, <clears throat> I'm still buying it. I, I think, I think he mostly just kind of got unlucky when it comes to like big plays and touchdowns last year. Like there was a little bit of variance there that team that tends to hit, you know, every, every running back or every receiver. And so I could see him sort of, you know, like bouncing back this year and having more touchdowns and having more big plays and, um, you know, ending up looking like a pretty good value. I, I I think I got him ranked really high, like in the second, early second round. So um, I'm still, I'm still in on, on Stefan Diggs, the, the connection that he has with Josh Allen um, and just generally this offense, like I'm still pretty bullish on all of them. So um, yeah, I, I, I like Stefan Diggs still a lot. I think it just, he just kind of was victim to, to variance more than anything. Yeah. And I think the biggest question that a lot of folks have right now with the wide receiver group is what should we, I guess, how should we like uh, value Gabe Davis like for 2022? Like, what is the right. what are the expectations? Like, I don't even want to get into like the massive crusade that happened throughout most of the summer over whether or not Gabe Davis should be picked where he's currently being valued at on underdog. <laughs> but I think at the very least, like since we we're just talking about Stefan Diggs, he helps. He like he helps Stefan Diggs because I think one of the biggest things that changed from 2021 to 20 well, 2020 to 2021 uh, is dig slot rate. It dropped from about 32, 31, 32% uh, in 2020 to around like just over like 20% in 2021. Mm. Yeah. So if he's not getting those layup targets because the bills do not have a reliable outsider perimeter receiver, then of course, I mean, Stefan Diggs is still going to be, he's going to be stuck outside and he was still able to produce because he's Stefan Diggs. But if Gabe Davis is at the very least, let's say, uh, a marginal perimeter receiver, like capable of at least beating like man press coverage at a decent rate, then that would allow them to at least be a bit more flexible. They can move their best. Like there's no argument over who's the better receiver in that group. It's just, can Gabe Davis do the job that they need him them to do? So it's conceivable that Diggs moves into the slot a bit more, uh, you know, much to the chagrin of anybody holding Jameson Crowder or Isaiah McKenzie, <laughs> but it's right. just, they give them those targets. And I think that's where we see Diggs get back to the first yeah. round, like 
that ceiling that we expect them to. At least the, I'm hoping. The pure volume, yeah. Like the, yeah. These, those layup ones are are important. I think that you're absolutely right. Um, because I mean, I don't remember if, exactly when it happened, but there was a point where they started sort of phasing out Emmanuel Sanders, or maybe he got hurt, and that forced Gabe Dave into the into the lineup. Yeah. Um, and you know that changed their offense. We saw what Gabe Dave did in the playoffs, like just absolutely going yeah, just bonkers, yeah, which yeah. we obviously are not going to expect in every game. But like, I think defenses are going to have to to respect it. And he's mm-hmm. he's shown that he has that speed to get over the top of defense. Um, he has the ability to sort of like line up there and, and beat coverage, and that's huge. And like you said, that can kind of open things up for Stefan Diggs in the in the middle. So I'm still hopeful. I'm still bullish on on what he can do, and I I, I just kind of think. Um, he's one of the, one of the prime bounce back guys, but he is, I mean, he's expensive. It's not, you have to have kind of conviction to take him in the first place. So I'm probably just preaching to the choir at this point. Oh yeah, yeah it's, absolutely. It's an investment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah an investment. <laughs> for sure. In order to get like it, essentially what the top two wide receivers, like for the bills, along with their quarterback, that is like your whole roster. You might as well just go yeah. ahead and pick up James cook on the back end, go ahead and like get Dawson Knox, because with the amount of draft capital that you're essentially like sending to like through the bills, just get all the rest of them and then just let's just send the whole roster like, you know, the Buffalo's way. But I do have just a general question about the offense for you, Danny. Do you have any concerns? I know you're talking about it earlier about their historic tendencies for 2021, but Brian Dayball's not there anymore. I know this is. Yeah. So, I mean, Ken Dorsey, <laughs> like he, he learned so much like from Brian Dayball, like over the past couple right. of seasons, like being what the passing coordinator, quarterbacks coach or whatever. So he's been around. And he knows the the broad concepts of what Dayball was doing, but like he mentioned, like when, since since they had to make a, like in season adjustments in order to figure out, okay, what are we going to do now that teams are playing us with more too high shells? But if they don't have the just like the the grand designer for this whole thing there to figure out whatever other like things that defense is going to throw at them this season, can they still be? as efficient of an offense, especially like also on top of that, if they're going to also ask Josh Allen to not run as much and here, let's use these other toys that we've given to you. Like we've given you uh, James cook. We've given you Khalil Shakir. If you're into that, like we've given you all these pieces in order to like have as options instead of you just trying to barrel your way down the field and jump over linebackers. So it's just like, but can all that still be efficient? Can all that still be productive enough for Josh Allen to be a top three quarterback while also supporting the likes of, you know, first round Stefan Diggs, fourth round Gabe Davis. I mean, so you see, you see what I'm saying? Like it just yeah. it's, it becomes difficult at that point. I think you the 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 question that you just put together there is like why it's so hard to bet on the NFL and why it's so hard to like win consistently in fantasy. <laughs> it's just like there's so many freaking variables in football. Um, the the plate like yeah, I think on one hand, going from Dayball to uh, Dorsey is like, you know, on paper, at least like some continuity because he's been in the system. He's been in the, uh, in the team and the program and, and what they want to do offensively. It, he has a sense of what they want to do, but, um, it's a massive X factor. That's not really being talked about all that much, like relative to a lot of the other stuff. Cause there's a lot of coaching changes in the NFL over, sure. over every year, but yeah. Um, cause it's not like we're doing do- this for Tampa Bay, but right. it's like, it's Tom Brady. Right. Um, but this is a big factor because play calling is different than uh, being in like there's a distinct difference between an offense and play calling, like installing your offense and play calling. Play right. calling is play sequencing. It's play. It, it's adapting to what a defense is doing on the fly in a game. It's That's why you some, see like these mm-hmm. coaches are looking at pictures. What were they doing on this play? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Like this. There's a real art form to it. And there's some guys that are really like knowledgeable about offense, like obviously all every NFL coach probably is like super knowledgeable about offense and like how to construct an offense. And well, the two guys in new England, I don't know about those <laughs> guys. For them. Yeah. I don't know what the hell they're doing. But, yeah. um, but like play calling and play sequencing and like stringing things together, knowing how to attack the weaknesses, all that stuff is definitely an art form. And we do not know if Dorsey has it, has like that it factor that, that Dayball clearly had. I think it's, it's definitely beneficial that he's like a former quarterback so he like in theory knows how to like make a quarterback's life easier and all that stuff um but i think you're right like it is a big variable that we don't really there's no way to answer that question because we don't know like we just don't know yet what what it's going to look like and so that's something that you have to consider um it's better than having some random dude come in from outside probably but 
but uh it is a thing it's a, it's definitely something that could be a bigger factor than i think people are making it out to be so it, it yeah it's the type of thing that you just uh, maybe we gloss over it because there's no way to answer it but it, it is mm -hmm. it is a factor it's like taking a copy of a copy where like you just you, <laughs> yeah. you, you get most of it but like the fine features have you ever seen multiplicity yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it yeah yeah yeah. He's like the the really dumb guy at the end. Yeah, like, the, yeah. That's the one calling <laughs> Michael Keaton. That's like, yeah. Uh, I like pizza. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Hopefully it's not that. She touched my Pepe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that movie for like twenty years. Oh Holy man, so that's good. a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, be a watch party for one of these episodes. Just bring back the <laughs> yeah. publicity. I love it. We'll age that's ourselves very well. Um, I uh, I'm gonna mercifully move forward. I have two more questions, but I'm gonna rapid sure. fire. I'm gonna get all three of your responses in five words or less on the uh on hmm. this okay okay so no number one dawson knox uh negative touchdown regression or worth the price of admission jen uh no that just no for me on, on dawson knox <laughs> just no all right yeah. i like it <laughs> one more i like it i like it danny uh i think the hype is too much the hype is too That's much five. okay that very like fair nine, two five, no's five. basically chris no I'm, I'm with both of them on that one just a little too pricey for me Okay. Okay. All right. I like this. Okay. Last question. Uh, on the spot right now, Isaiah McKenzie or Jameson Crowder? Jen. Isaiah McKenzie. But once again, Isaiah Georgia Bulldog. McKenzie. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair Another enough. Danny. one. I'm all in on McKenzie. <laughs> all in on McKenzie. Chris. Yeah. Three for three. McKenzie. <laughs> okay. All right. This is good. Well, that was easy. That's 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 an easy way to finish out the show. That's yeah. right. Uh, Danny, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Any final thoughts or plugs you want to mention before you go? Uh, yeah, you can listen to my podcast, The Ringer Fantasy Football Show, and we have a fantasy guide slash our fantasy rankings up at theringer.com. So check that out. Excellent. Go check out everything that Danny puts out. It's well worth your time. Chris, Jen, always a pleasure. Listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at Danny B. Kelly, at The Monday Mommy, at Chris Allen FFWX, and at Two Guys Brandon. Don't forget to, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Thanks for checking us out. Have a good day.